Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. I know, I know, I said I wouldn't be back until Thursday, so you can consider this a special episode. Now, I have been thinking about increasing this podcast to a daily show. I used to try and do that before, and I just didn't really have the time. And I'm thinking that, you know, Mondays and Thursdays, twice a week is not enough in order to cover everything that needs to be covered without being redundant and talking about mostly the same issues over and over again. And I'm thinking about getting more into the cultural issues and outside of just what's happening in the news, because I feel like so many shows and podcasts that are just about the news, there's only so much that you can handle. And there's only so many ways you can hear the same events covered repeatedly before it's just like, eh. so I'm going to be trying to get um, somewhat into the cultural news as well. Things that are going on. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that's been talking about Netflix and cuties and whatever, but while I would probably you know, benefit from jumping into a conversation like that and you know how horrible of a movie that would be, I'm just not willing to subject myself to watching a bunch of 11-year-olds and getting close-ups of their butts, their you know, between their legs and whatever. You know, I'm just not willing to subject myself to that, not even for you, the audience. But there are plenty of other things that we need to dive into. And as we get closer and closer to the election, I may have to increase the amount of episodes that I do in order to get through everything. Because as we get closer to the election, everything is just hitting faster and faster. Now, with that said, it means that I may be also trying to cover some things on just the YouTube channel. Now, I haven't done YouTube in a few months, you know, because video, of course, it takes a lot more effort than audio. But I'm thinking if I stick to just the twice a week, you know, audio show, then maybe I should fill in the gap with some content on the video show or just do a few micro shows. I don't know. I'm still thinking about that and trying to determine what it is I want to do. However, the reason why I felt like recording an extra episode this week is because, well, we have a good omen, right? We have a good omen that President Trump could win and will likely win the re-election in 2020. Now, there's a lot of indications that President Trump is going to win and defeat Biden pretty handedly in the 2020 election. But I think if we take a look at events that are going on, there is one pivotal moment, something that is repeated from 2016 that really captured, you know, the whole swing of things. And by that, I mean... Another violent rioter gets hit in the nuts by the police. Now, if you remember in 2016, you know, it was Antifa and the trending hashtag Antifa pepper balls, where an Antifa member got hit in the nuts with a pepper ball by the police. And there was endless memes and endless videos 
going around about that, you know, with people throwing in songs. Heck, I contributed to that bit of fun. I believe I did an old 80 songs. Hit me with your best shot. I, it, it, it was a great video uh, that I did. It got a little bit of traction on social media. Now, this time, it was a Black Lives Matter protester. You know, I use the word protester loosely. I, what I mean by protester is rioter who got hit in the nuts with a rubber bullet. And it is priceless. I'm sure you've seen it, but I'm taking this as a good omen that President Trump is going to win re-election because now we have another violent rioter hitting the nuts by the police trying to quell the violence. Now, beyond that, there are some other things that are going on here that really highlight the difference between the left and the right. So if you remember, Kamala Harris had gone through to visit in Wisconsin. Remember, Kamala Harris is from California. She went to Wisconsin to visit with, what's his name, Jacob Blake? I I, I believe that's it, Jacob Blake. You know, uh, the rapist who had gone through and gotten shot by the police as he was going for a knife in his vehicle resisting arrest. He, you know, has been charged with the felony third degree sexual assault. And Kamala Harris went in and visited with this piece of crap and went through to, you know, talk about how you know, Grady is glad that he's doing well. I mean, they, the left really has this knack for going off and taking violent criminals and purveying onto them this idea that they're heroes, that they're victims and that they should be lifted up in society and praised. And we should do everything that we can to celebrate these criminals. Well, former GOP Wisconsin governor sent out a tweet to Kamala Harris asking if, and I quote, will at Kamala Harris visit deputies who were shot, 31-year-old mom and 24-year-old, in her own state. She visited someone in Wisconsin who was charged with felony third-degree sexual assault and said she was proud of him. She and Joe Biden need to side with law enforcement and denounce radicals. Yes, So here it is, you have Biden and Harris. They're willing to go around to mingle with criminals who got shot pulling a weapon on police officers who were trying to grab for a weapon uh, on police officers or violently attack police officers. But then when a police officer gets shot for no reason, right, gets violently attacked and shot just because they're police officers and the left has been engaged in this narrative that police bad. Well, police officers could get shot. And what do we hear? Not a peep from the Democrats, not a peep whatsoever. They go through and, you know, they might send out, you know, uh, a meaningless tweet, you know, saying, oh, our hearts may go out to the deputies. But they send out a meaningless tweet for officers shot in their own state while at the same time going through and personally visiting with rapists and praising rapists. 
And it, it is amazing. Now, the leftists, you know, as far as uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are finally starting to come out and just generically condemn violence. But that's because they're polling and saying, hey, you know, while your supporters, you know, celebrate the violence, eh, independent voters are kind of turned off by this. And, you know, those who are maybe on the moderate side of the left are greatly opposed to this, and it's going to hurt you in the election. However, you know, that said, they're not really doing or saying anything. They're just speaking in generic terms. And as we know uh, from previous uh, media statements, talking about things in the generic or the abstract doesn't cut the mustard. Well, I guess it cuts the mustard uh, when it's uh, the Democrats, but if it's a Republican, doesn't cut the mustard. Now, Republicans will come out and easily condemn violence. It is easy. We believe in law and order. The left definitely does not. And even after they go through and say, oh, in a meaningless tweet, our hearts go out to the deputies. What do they do? They turn around and they attack police officers and vilify police officers. Guess what? It is the left. It is CNN, NBC. It is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that incite violence, promoted attacks on the police, and made the police you know, out to seem like they're the bad guys when really they were upholding the law and going after violent criminals. So guess what? I am going to say it. They have blood on their hands. And they have blood on their hands, and they don't even care. They don't care because, as I have previously stated, the left never pays a consequence for any of their actions. They always get rewarded no matter how violent, no matter how distasteful, divisive, and disgusting their behavior is. It is sickening. But there are things going on outside of the Democrats, things that I would be remiss if I did not talk about. And this is about Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, or however you pronounce his name. I'm not even quite sure. And he was stating here that, you know, the coronavirus pandemic is no time to prioritize a smaller budget deficit, arguing that such concerns should, uh, shouldn't delay any new COVID-19 relief effort. Now, look, I get that the pandemic, you know, is an issue. I get that if the federal government or even state governments are going to shut down businesses and prevent people from working, that those people should be compensated because it's technically a form of eminent domain. You know, it's not that the people don't want to work. It's not that the people are mooching off the government. It's the fact that they want to work and the government is actively blocking them. And so there should be compensation for that. They shouldn't lose everything because the government refuses to allow them to work. But at the same time, it would be very hypocritical of us to go out there and say deficits no longer matter. I mean, let's. Let's be honest about this. Deficits do matter. The national debt does matter. It is very hypocritical for us to only claim to be concerned about the debt and the deficit only when the opposition party is in control, whether it's the opposition party in control of the House, the House and Senate, or the White House as well. 
mean, we get on a lot here about former President Obama and how much money he spent while he was in office and doubling the national debt. But we also need to recognize that during that time, you know, according to the Constitution, all spending legislation starts in the House of Representatives. And for six of the eight years that Obama was in office, the Republicans controlled the House of Representatives, which means Obama could not have spent all that money without the blessing and support of the Republicans, who during an election cycle will come out and say, Oh, these debts and deficits, horrible. We will fight against that. And then, that, and then in between elections, they go through and they, much like Democrats, haven't met much of a spending bill that they didn't like. Now, now they may nitpick about spending going towards left-wing groups, knowing that the money will end up in Democrat campaign coffers. But for the most part, they like spending money as much as the Democrats. And this is something that we need to address. Because if we're saying, oh, debts and deficits matter when Obama was in office and then Trump gets into office and starts spending even more money with no plan to get spending under control, well, that would be highly hypocritical. And that does lend credence to, you know, that the right is not, you know, necessarily concerned or serious about the debt and deficit. And if you notice, the Democrats, when a Republican is in the White House, all of a sudden, that's when they're concerned about the debt and deficit. You know, it, it seems like it's uh, this game, you know, this political game where you pretend to care about something only when the other side is doing it. But once you're in power, you do the exact same thing. And all of a sudden, it's no longer a big issue or anything to be concerned about whatsoever. Now, if we are going to be principled, if we are going to say, hey, we have these values and we actually believe in these values, then we got to hold politicians accountable to those values, regardless of which side is in charge of D.C. Now, I get that a global pandemic complicates the issue a little bit and doesn't leave much in the way of good options. But okay, what about the previous three years? Now, what about the first year that Trump was in office? The first budget that he signed when the Republicans were in control of the House and the Senate. Now, Trump, for his part, you know, blasted the spending bill, but he still signed it. And he said he would never sign a spending bill that horrible again, the omnibus bill. But he has. You know, Trump has gone along with the spending in D.C. that he had blasted while he was a candidate. The Republicans who had blasted you know, the Democrats spending when they were in control of the House and the Senate and the White House, they didn't reduce spending any time then either. So for them to now come out and try to blame the pandemic for an issue that has been going on now for at least 20 years, the out-of-control spending in D.C. that has continued regardless of which side is in office, well, it seems like the pandemic is just a convenient scapegoat right now in order to get through to the election and try to say, you know, or take away the talking points of actual fiscal conservatives. And I say, you know what, enough with the excuses, because you're always going to be able to find an excuse why right now is not the time to tackle the debt and deficit. 
you know, and the Democrats, of course, will always, you know, go for shutting down the government because they always think they'll win on the shutting down the government because they want to just spend money, spend money, spend money. And so if anybody tries to cut the budget, they can just shut down the government and there isn't a, and there isn't a problem for them because all the media will blame the Republicans. And so given that, the only way we can give Republicans the backbone that they need in order to get spending under control is to make sure that if there is ever a government shutdown, that we make our voices of support for them so loud that they ignore the fake news media. Because too many Republicans, and the reason why they won't get spending under control, they're just too afraid of the fake news media complex that is just going to blast them. And they still will have this belief that the media has a lot of influence over voters. They're out of touch. You know, if they've been in D.C. for any length of time, more than, you know, two or three election cycles in the House of Representatives and definitely more than two election cycles in the Senate, they are completely out of touch with the average person. They believe what the media reports, and therefore they'll never have the backbone to actually cut spending. But we need to make sure that our voices are loud on the need to cut the debt and deficit and that we have unwavering support for them if they try it and the Democrats shut down the government for it, you know, to give them the backbone to have that particular fight. It's the only way. We have to be so loud they can't ignore us and the fake news media can't cover us up, you know, can't drown us out. You know, but if you're one of those people that you were only concerned about the debt when Obama was in office and all of a sudden you stopped caring once Trump took office, then I would say you're not a principled person. You're just playing politics. Okay, so I'm kind of reviewing two articles here and I'm trying to figure out exactly how to say it, you know, how to really analyze it. And the only way I can analyze it is it's a continuation of the left's threat for violence if they don't get the outcome that they want in the 2020 election. And so there was an article in The Atlantic, you know, published by Shadi Hamid, which makes the arguments that if Trump wins the 2020 election, Democrats are not going to handle it well. The basis of this argument is pretty simple. Democrats didn't handle the 2016 loss very well, and they still haven't been able to grasp, uh, grasp that they lost. You know, they've engaged in endless conspiracy theories. And so it goes on and states that liberals had enough trouble accepting the results of the 2016 election. In some sense, they never really came to terms with it. The past four years have witnessed the continuous urge to explain away the inexplicable, to find solace in the fact that the voters betrayed them. Wait, what? The Voters betrayed them? That that sentence alone doesn't even make sense. Oh, but okay. You know, you could say because most because a lot of other voters didn't agree with them but betrayed them. Anyways, uh how could so many of their fellow Americans side with a racist 
and a fabulist. Okay, first off, there is absolutely zero evidence that President Trump is a racist. They call every Republican a racist who runs for office. They do. I mean, that's just their go-to lines. They have zero evidence to support it. They just go off and just make up names to call people, make up accusations in order to, you know, justify hating somebody without ever actually having a reason or to be against a policy without ever having a reason or to try and, you know, make an argument why you should vote against somebody even though they don't have a reason. They just keep calling everybody racist. The term has lost any and all meaning. Someone so callous and seemingly without empathy. It was easier to think that those Americans had been lackeys, manipulated and deceived, or that they simply hadn't understood what's best for them. Now, you could tell the obvious bias in this article. You know, this person writing this has no concept of self-awareness, no objectivity whatsoever. You know, but I mean, it, it is really quite amazing, you know, that they just try to cast any political opponents as evil, even though President Trump has proven to have been in the best interest of the country, in the best interest of people of all races. In fact, in the best interest of the world at large. Okay, anyways, and I'm saying the world at large because of the peace agreements that he has managed to accomplish. Right, and creating stability in the Middle East. All right, moreover, the Russians had interfered and tipped the balance of an extremely close election through propaganda, fake news, and collusion with the Trump campaign, all of which has been debunked. Interfered in the election? They spent like $10,000 on Facebook ads in an election where nearly a billion dollars was spent. Okay, if $10,000 can undo you know, uh, the Democrats, you know, $600 million worth spent, then I'd say the Democrats are completely incompetent at, well, marketing and conveying to the American people why anybody should vote for them, right? And fake news inclusion, well, I got a newsflash for you. Not only did the left spend hundreds of millions of dollars which makes that $10,000 seem like nothing, which, by the way, almost nobody saw those Facebook ads. They had zero impact because almost nobody saw it, nobody interact, and almost nobody interacted with it. All of the fake news and propaganda was coming from the left and the left-wing media, such as this crap writer. You know, they keep pushing these debunked conspiracy theories. Now, perhaps, it continues, as former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid suggested, the Russians had even tampered with the vote itself. You know, that they this is just showing that not even this writer can come to terms with the fact that the American people just did not agree with the leftists. We actually wanted Trump. And they're trying to figure out ways on, you know, to explain away in ways uh, to try and, you know, delegitimize Trump's victory when there is no delegitimizing it. He won fair and square, and it wasn't due to any foreign interference. It was because he was actually talking about the things that people cared about. 
the things that people have wanted in DC, you know, the changes that people want in DC. And also, Hillary Clinton was a crap candidate. And Joe Biden this year is a completely crap candidate. You put up the worst possible people you could to run against President Trump. Right? You, Hillary Clinton versus candidate Trump. In what world did Hillary Clinton ever actually have a chance? She is one of the most hated and divisive figures in politics for decades. And Joe Biden, Joe Biden has become a senile old man who can't even remember where he's at, what office he's running for, and can't keep a coherent thought for more than 30 seconds. All right? Maybe this is why you're losing. It's because you put up candidates that are completely against American values or have gone senile and is obviously losing their minds. Oh, it is just horrible. Now, according to Hamid, Democrats may not be able to concede this coming election. Well, they still haven't conceded 2016. Heck, they still haven't even conceded the 2000 election of Bush v. Gore. So it's no surprise that they won't concede in the 2020 election at at all. But they're going on to say they won't be able to concede this coming election if Trump wins. Why? Why? Trump wins? Trump wins. If Biden wins, Biden wins. I'll never understand a Biden win, but a a win's a win. But saying that Trump, if Trump wins, it will forever undermine their faith in democracy. How? That's exactly what democracy is. You know, you compete for votes. People vote based off of their thoughts and their opinions and who they think is best for the country. The fact that you're on the losing side of that vote doesn't undermine or discredit democracy. What you're saying is democracy is everyone just agrees with and does whatever you say. That's not a democracy. That's an authoritarian dictatorship. You know, then the. They use these words, but they obviously have never looked it up in the dictionary or have any comprehension of what these words mean. Now, it goes on to say, undermining their faith in democracy and the American electoral system, numerous factors would contribute to that belief, such as Russian interference. Okay, I got a newsflash. Russia has been posting ads trying to interfere in the election since like at least the 1980s. They just moved it from print newspapers to online social media platforms. Same thing. You know, it doesn't really have an effect because they never actually put any money behind it. You know, they put a they put next to nothing behind it. They just want to claim that they had some sort of influence. You know, they're just trying to figure out who they think is going to win post some ads, and then that way they can run propaganda at home claiming that they influenced the outcome of the election when really they didn't even so much as half-ass it. You know, another issue is winning the popular vote while losing the electoral college. This happens all the time, losing uh, the popular vote and winning the electoral college. Guess what? How you win election has never been a national popular vote. It's been what? 200 and, you know, 50, 60, you know, between 230 and 250 years. 
that we've had the same election system, that we've had the electoral college, that it has never been a national popular vote, right? And you would think after, you know, two and a half centuries, people would understand how the election works, how the voting works, and how we select the president. And yet somehow, every election cycle, the losing side finds it a surprise that we don't do it based off of a national vote. Why? Because we are not voting as a nation. We are voting as individual states, right? Remember, this is the United States. And so you don't have just one national popularity contest. You actually have 50 contests. And whoever wins the most out of 50 wins the presidency. Right? And so I don't care that California has more, you know, population. They have a set number of electoral votes. Right? The, the, our system was set up so that, you know, three, four states with large populations don't dominate the politics. It's set up to make every state count. Right? And so why they're confused by this, I don't know. I, I, I can't understand. You know, it's 50 individual contests. And who wins the majority of that 50 contests? Whoever wins the majority of the electoral votes based off of those 50 different contests is who wins. This, is, this shouldn't be a surprise by now. You know, but it goes winning the popular vote while losing the electoral college and other things in the event of this loss of faith. Hamid feared that unrest in the streets might increase. So, I mean, this really goes on, you know, like this, and it continues. I find myself truly worried about only one scenario that Trump will win re-election and Democrats and others on the left will be unwilling, even unable to accept the result. A loss by Joe Biden under these circumstances is the worst case, not because Trump will destroy America, but because it is the outcome most likely to undermine faith in democracy. I, see, I, I don't get this whole undermine faith in democracy. That democracy is only, there's only faith in democracy so long as you get the results you want, not the results that everybody uh, else voted for. It, it is amazing how they try to write, and this actually got published? All right, resulting in more of the social unrest and street battles that cities, including Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, have seen in recent months. Now, here's where it really, really gets deep in horseshit. All right, and what can only be described as a veiled threat. Hamid says, Republicans have an interest in seeing Joe Biden pull out a victory this coming November. For this reason, strictly law and order Republicans who have responded in dismay to scenes of rioting and looting have an interest in Biden winning, even if they could never bring themselves to vote for him. He writes. So basically, they're saying that Republicans have an interest and Biden winning so that the left will stop violently burning down cities. Oh, 
So that is nothing more than an actual threat. You know, they're now coming out and saying the quiet parts out loud, which is the fact that they are threatening the country. They are threatening us that if we don't give them what they want, they're going to continue with the violence. They're going to escalate in murders. They're going to engage in cop killing. They're going to continue escalating the violence until they get what they want. And only if they get what they want is there any faith or trust in democracy. And if anybody votes differently than what they want, then democracy is dead and there's no faith in such a system. Uh, Evidently, they don't seem to understand what a democracy is. Now, of course, all of this violence is out of the claim of systemic racism and systemic oppression. And of course, being that the international community is what it is, a bunch of hypocrites who hate the United States, you now have the UN's human human rights chief urges U.S. to tackle systemic racism. Okay, there is no systemic racism in the United States. It does not exist. It's something that the left made up. But now the UN is trying to inject itself. United Nations Human Rights Chief, according to the Daily Caller, uh, Michelle Bachelet or whatever, called on the United States to address systemic racism during her opening speech Monday for the Human Rights Council in Geneva. Okay, there is a couple of problems here. One, um, there is no systemic racism in the United States. We can't address and fix something that doesn't exist. You know, we can't fix the imaginations of paranoid leftists looking for a way to excuse criminal behavior because of political convenience. And another thing here, hey, you want to address systemic racism? You want to address human rights abuse? Why don't you start with the members of your human rights council? Right? I mean, this is amazing. The countries that engage in the most audacious human rights abuses known to planet Earth are on the Human Rights Council trying to lecture other people about the need to address their human rights. And that they will go along with all the fake news to attack the United States. Meanwhile, they are slaughtering and killing political dissidents in their own countries. They are people who will gas their own citizens for not going along with the preferred narrative or the pre-approved government narrative. I mean, these are the biggest human rights abusers on the planet sitting on the Human Rights Council trying to lecture the United States, which has the best human rights record on planet Earth today and and at any point in history. We've eliminated racism in a system. Does that mean that there isn't a single racist in the country? No, there's a few. You know, there, I don't really see that there's enough to fill up a Walmart, but okay, there's still a few, right? But they're not in charge of anything. They have no control over anything. You know, they're just, you know, a bunch of basement dwellers. I mean, they're like Antifa. They're you know, people who don't have real jobs sitting in basements doing nothing. I it, it, It's just, you know, it's just the hypocrisy of it all. You know, so I got a newsflash to the United Nations. 
You are a worthless waste of money. You do nothing. You solve nothing. In fact, you do more to protect murderous dictators than you do to solve any problems going on in the world. You are a failed experiment, and you need to just shut up and go the hell away. That's my thoughts on the United Nations. Go screw yourself. Now, there are some things here that, you know, really perturb me. You know, and this is uh, reported by the Washington Times. Trump vows to eliminate any election day unrest within minutes. Really? Why don't, why wait until election day? Why not uh, eliminate any unrest right now? You know, invoke the Insurrection Act and put an end to the violence right now. You know, President Trump, you know, he likes to talk about law and order. He likes to condemn the violence. And I get that we have a federalist system and that in some respects, you know, the governors need to approve him to come in and, you know, quell the violence. Now, he can take action to protect federal buildings. But, you know, so I get that on one hand. But really, is there anything at this point that is stopping him from invoking the Insurrection Act and putting down the violence? I mean, how could, you know, stopping people from burning down cities and murdering people, how can that be viewed in any way, shape, or form as negative as we head into the election? I mean, I know the media will try and spin it, but the media is going to spin it anyways. You know, the media is already running all types of fake news against you. You know, if you take action and all of a sudden, you know, peace is restored, guess what? If peace is restored and restored solely by you, um, that's actually a good thing. That will actually lead to an electoral victory. You know, so now this is one of those things that really kind of annoys me, you know, because on the one hand, we elected Trump because he was, you know, supposed to be the law and order president. You know, he was supposed to be the one that was going to cut down on the violence, the corruption, and drain the swamp. And he hasn't really done anything, you know, on that regards. He hasn't really drained the swamp much. He hasn't done anything to squash the violence right now. You know, can you name one person? involved in uh, Spygate that has suffered any consequence? How many nights has these rioting's uh, going on, been going on, domestic terrorism been going on, and has he done anything? You know, how about this, Mr. President? Um, less talk, more action. But, of course, there are some good things that are still coming out of the Trump administration. Well, there's a lot of good things that are coming out of the Trump administration. But uh, the Ninth Circuit Court, in astonishment, actually sided with President Trump. I mean, this is the most liberal, out-of-touch, you know, activist court that hasn't obeyed the Constitution or the law in any of its rulings in decades. And now, here it is, they actually sided with President Trump. So, a U.S. appeals court on Monday sided with President Trump over his administration's decision to end humanitarian protection for hundreds of thousands of immigrants, many who have lived in the United States for decades. 
Yeah. In a two-to-one ruling, a panel of three judges in the California-based Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals reversed a lower court decision that had blocked Trump's move to phase out so-called temporary protected status from uh, for people from El Salvador, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Sudan. Now, here is an interesting concept here. You know, it's called temporary protected status. And now they've been here for decades. The reason why they were here for protection no longer exists. You know, the natural disaster is long since been over in these areas. You know, and him ending temporary protected status and people trying to sue, saying, you can't end this. What part of temporary do you not understand? See, I think half the problem in this country is that the left doesn't understand English. They don't understand what these words mean. They don't have a dictionary. You know, look up the word temporary. Uh, You know, these people have been living here uh, for decades. Now, of course, you know, the American Civil Liberties Union, which I don't get why they're protecting people or taking on cases that have nothing to do with American citizens, you know, given their name. Um, But anyways, no, they're going to make an appeal to have a review by all 11 judges and not just the three-judge panel. But this is, they have no case. The president has the authority to end temporary protection status. Why? Because the protection status was only temporary. And temporary doesn't mean forever, continuous, never-ending. You know, look up the word temporary for crying out loud. <sighs> but at least, at least we got, you know, that bit of a victory, you know, going on. Now, and further evidence of how much our education system no longer educates students, Harvard professor says states might use stand your ground laws to outsource its violence to disproportionately white male citizens. Now, it's because of the way the education system has been going, where the left has taken over and destroyed educational institutions and created indoctrination camps based off of, well, I'm trying to find the right word here, but basically it has nothing to do with education anymore. You know, the the left has completely destroyed Harvard, Yale, and all public schools. They've completely destroyed it. They, you know, now I wouldn't even, if I was running a business, I wouldn't even hire anybody who went to Harvard. Because I would now know that if you went to Harvard, you don't have an education. You don't have anything valuable. You're just a hardcore leftist nut who got an indoctrination and was told it was education. You know, I wouldn't bother. You know, for me, Harvard is a disgraced institution. It used to be a standard in education. It used to be something everybody wanted to go for. And now it's a disgraced institution. You know, um, a Harvard University professor, uh, as this uh, article from Conservative Review uh, states, you know, claimed that 
The states use stand your ground as a way in which the states might outsource its violence to individual citizens, adding that they are disproportionately white or white passing, disproportionately male identified, and usually a person with some kind of property. Well, yeah, people like to defend property. They like to defend their lives. I mean, this is self-defense. I mean, you know, what's this whole outsourcing violence? Give me a break. It's a self-defense as a basic human right. What part of that do they not understand? Of course, they don't understand any of it because they're the violent aggressors. They don't want you to be able to defend yourself. They hate the Second Amendment because it's a roadblock to overthrowing the government. All right. And it continues on. And that the United States has been based on different mythologies of neutrality. A campus reform uh, report speaking at a virtual event entitled Race, Guns, and the Politics of Self-Defense, Caroline Light, a senior lecturer on women's gender and sexuality at Harvard University, you know, basically, they have a complete nut job who is pretending to be a professor, an educator, going around and making, um, you know, going around like a raving lunatic and trying to claim, you know, the ability to defend yourself is horrible. It is, it is pathetic. They have lost their minds. I'm sorry, but if you are on the left, if you are supporting this type of crap, if you are supporting Joe Biden, then I have no respect for you. At this point, it is clear that you, that you're an uninformed moron. There is no other excuse for it. Now, yes, Trump has character flaws. We all know this. Nobody's hiding that. In fact, they made jokes about Trump's character flaws during the GOP convention. But as we all know, actions speak louder than words. I don't care about his character flaws because it's his policies and actions that matter. Right? And so when you take a look at the left, they're violent. They're racist. They now, uh, you know, accept killing political opponents. They want to assassinate the police. They're targeting the police officer's family and trying to defund the police while people are burning down cities. What part of that screams vote for them? Maybe in past elections, you know, I may have disagreed with the re-election of President Obama, but I understood why people may actually vote for him, what they thought. You know, at least back then, you know, you could understand that maybe they actually believed in the ideology. But right now, the the Democrats, they're nothing. They have no ideas. They have no actual ideology. They have no principles. They just believe in power for power's sake and the use of violence to get it. And if you support that, I have zero respect for you. Now, if you want to be a complete moron and vote for him, Hey, that's your prerogative. That's democracy. Unfortunately, you can't expect everyone to be intelligent or to make rational decisions. That is one of the things about democracy is that people are just going to disagree and some people will want to remain willfully ignorant. 
Okay. I will never advocate violence against you. I just won't, don't have any respect for you in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it, it may have been, you know, acceptable to vote for Democrats in the past. You know, you may have actually had valid reasons to do so. But in 2020, there just is no excuse for voting Democrats in any way, shape, or form. Okay, one last thing here. NBC's Sunday Night Football saw a ratings crash on opening night. So this is another get woke, go broke. And the NFL has gone completely woke. And, you know, I used to be a big NFL fan. You know, I was a Cowboys fan. And I know some of you will disagree with that. Some of you may instantly hate me because I was a Cowboys fan. But I tell you what, I had been a Cowboys fan since 1991 when I was in first grade. All right. I've been consistent about this from 1991 on. I was a Cowboys fan. Now I, I won't watch football whatsoever. You know, it's because of this get woke crap that they're doing. Is the fact that the NFL is right now supporting violent domestic terrorists, supporting groups who are advocating for killing the police, who are advocating for murdering political opponents, ideological opponents, is the fact that they are celebrating and promoting rapists and murderers. And trying to tell us that we're all garbage people if we don't support these rapists and murderers. So the NFL is dead to me. It is dead. You know, I had been a fan since 1991. I will not watch a game. In fact, the NFL is banned in my house. All NFL apparel is banned in my house. And guess what? My kids, who I was getting to watch football with me a few years ago, they're going to grow up not watching any football. They're not going to be allowed to watch a football game in this house. So the NFL hasn't just lost one fan. They lost three potential future fans. And things like this and what's going on, you know, as I'm talking, is going on in households across the country where people who had loved football will no longer allow it in their household. It is completely banned. And they're not only losing massive amounts of fans, you know, of current fans, you know, losing them, but they're losing even more future fans, right? Now, how bad has the left's, you know, go woke in the NFL gotten? Well, let's see here. According to the article, even with the usual ratings gold of Jerry Jones' team on the field, the NFL and NBC didn't get that win, at least not in the early numbers, despite two teams with big national followings. You know, SNF snared a 4.7 in early ratings among adults 18 to 49 and 14.81 million viewers last night. Now, that seems like a lot, right? Granted, in the NFL, you know, you know, low numbers would be for most any other TV show, huge rating success. All right. But the numbers are falling and uh, numbers certain to change. That's a fall of 28% in 
and the demo and hard decline of 23% in sets of eyeballs. And that's just the opening, right? That's just the opening. You know, as people see, you know, the left continue to engage in this, I mean, we're talking about a fall of 28% from 2019. But if you remember in 2019, the ratings were tanking by double digits last year. So you got double digit decline last year in ratings, and you're already hitting double digit decline from that reduced number this year. And that's what you got to also uh, remember is that we're not talking about just double digits in a single year. We're talking double digit decline, you know, year over year because of what they are doing. You know, to add further context, last year's opener, uh, 33 to three, uh, pummeling of the Pittsburgh Steelers by then reigning Super Bowl champions, the New England Patriots went on to pull in an audience of 22.2 million on NBC, which was pretty much even with SNF's 2018 season premiere. That 2019 figure inched up to 22.7 million when digital platform viewing was added in. Okay. So, I mean, we take a look at this and the NFL is just, it's been destroying itself, you know, and they're losing so many fans. I mean, we're, we're not even going to put up with, you know, spending our time on a bunch of rich, spoiled athletes telling us, what horrible racists we are while they live the lives that only a few people could ever dream of living, making millions, tens of millions of dollars a year to work only you know, a portion of the year. And what they call work is playing a game that they love to play. All right. So that's it uh, for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I would say I'll be back again on Thursday, but you know, if something happens before then, I'll be back sooner. Otherwise, expect to tune in again on Thursday. <laughs>